Good evening and welcome to this episode of After the Pack, where we get to see things more clearly, where we get a better sense of the truth. Let's begin by dissecting the news. The National Union of Journalists of the Philippines has come up with a new ethics guide. Now, the timing couldn't be better. Already, journalists are in the thick of covering candidates in the 2022 elections, particularly those running for president. Never mind if the official election period won't start until January next year. Now, the NUJP manual provides a practical guide to several issues confronting journalists here in the Philippines. Conflicts of interest, the lack of genuine independence, weak self-regulation, for instance. Now, case studies cited were quite interesting and should serve as a wake-up call or trigger an examination of conscience among practitioners. Tonight, we'll put a spotlight on journalists and their ethical dilemmas, especially in covering the all-important elections next year. Now, be part of our discussion. Send us your questions and comments on our YouTube live chat or tweet us using the hashtag ANCAfterTheFact. Joining us tonight, NUJP National Auditor Marcel Espina, UP Diliman Journalism Professor Danilo Arau, and Mr. Virgil Santos, who is a member of the board of the Center for Media Freedom and Responsibility. Good evening and thank you for joining us on the program. Good evening. Okay, I'd like to start with Marcel. Uh, talk to us about this uh, this uh, ethics manual or guide uh, that was published just today by the National Union of Journalists of the Philippines. What exactly is the purpose, especially given the timing? Because journalists, we know, in the Philippines already have uh, a, a, a code of... Okay. Okay. Marcel. So, good evening, everyone. So, thank you for inviting us. So... Today, early today, the NUJP, uh, with its partners, Enternews and News USAID, uh, launched the ethical guide for Filipino journalists. Um, this is actually uh, to promote and to strengthen self-regulation among newsmen and newsrooms. Um, basically, this is not to impose what is right or wrong, because we're sure that in every newsrooms and, of course, for every journalist, they have what we call uh, eth ethics uh, guide. But the thing is, um, this book, um, written by, of course, uh, uh, writer DJ Yap, was um, it was conducted uh, through extensive research and, of course, um, various um, focus group discussions among journalists and newsrooms. Um, from all over the country. Um, so one of those, of course, is the economic um, welfare of the journalists, especially those in the in the community, where it was actually uh, mentioned in the guidebook. Um, community journalists have, you know, are getting a very low pay, uh, despite of the haggard or despite of the brutal hours. Uh, you know, amid the threats and all. So this is why, uh, this is the reason why uh, this project um, was uh, launched. And uh, of course, uh, it as what uh, DJ Yap has said earlier, um, this is sort of a love letter to the, of course, to the incoming journalists that will serve as a uh, moral courage and uh, guide as they, uh, you know, talk or as they go into the world of journalism. And as we all know, um, you could be lured to the perks <laughs> of the job. So, okay. Thank you. That's quite clear, no? So, 
ethics manuals are not in, intended, of course, to impose on anything uh, or, and on anyone, right? So uh, separate newsrooms have also have their own, or most of them have their own ethics manuals, right? Uh, but uh, do ethic, ethics manuals really matter for journalists? Or basically, we can go by what we call personal conscience. I'd like to ask first, uh, Mr. Virgil Santos, do ethics manuals really matter for journalists? It's always good to have a reference book. Uh, good to have uh, something, a set of general standards against which you can uh, you can measure um, your own uh, practice in ethical terms. I mean, uh, but of course, I've always believed that learning, understanding, and uh, and developing uh, ethical discipline um, is best uh, uh, achieved by, uh, by, by studying um, the discipline case by case. You know, all, all you can put set down would be, would be general standards. But that's, it is good to have general standards, always good, because that, um, that will, uh, having ethical standards by itself, you know, uh, gives uh, journalists a, um, a a reason to look at themselves as as, as practitioners, as professionals, and discuss among themselves their own problems in practice, um, uh, uh, guided by by certain guidelines. It's it's always yeah. good, but but I, I, I always believe that. It, it is uh, ethical discipline best developed um, learning learning it case by case. Okay, but uh, can a journalist basically go by his personal conscience or uh, based, of course, on personal upbringing to be able to deal with certain ethical dilemmas? Uh, like, uh, Professor Aro, would you like I, to answer? I don't. <laughs> yeah. Of course, personal conscience is important, but as Averhel said, personal conscience should be based on uh, the vast experience of other colleagues in the profession. So that's where stewardship uh, would be very important as a principle in journalism, aside from truth-telling. Now, the strength of the NUJT uh, ethics manual that was launched today uh, stems from the fact that it is not just normative. Uh, by normative, we mean uh, telling, uh, you know, making recommendations on what journalists should do, but it's also empirical. So the normative and empirical dimensions of journalism would be combined in that particular manual. So it gives uh, users, you know, a more holistic perspective on what journalism is. And it's good that the title uh, makes it specific to Filipinos uh, because you might find, uh, well, not really strange, but what you might find unique about the studies of journalism in Europe and in the West would be the combination of theoretical, empirical, and normative dimensions. Here in the Philippines, we have a very, very strong normative tradition uh, when it comes to journalism because we've been through a lot, uh, not just in terms of uh, what we went through during martial law, but in terms of the vibrant debate that we have regarding uh, ethics. And at one point or another, we may have been you know, on the opposite sides of the fence regarding the handling of specific uh, journalism-related issues. So I think that's uh, the vibrancy uh, of the okay. Philippine press that's reflected in the NUJP manual. Okay, we, we know, of course, that there's such, there such a thing as uh, universal standards, even for journalism. But of course, you also have the intricacies 
based on the experience in individual countries or cultural dimensions. For example, in the Philippines. Let's say a very concrete example. Um, taking money from sources. It's not a universal... Uh, is there such a thing as a universal rule regarding that? And Anybody would like to answer that first? Uh, okay. Can I answer that first? Is it okay? Okay, yes, again. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, believe it or not, in other countries, uh, especially impoverished ones, uh, the acceptance of bribes... Uh, well, they don't call it bribes, but accepting money uh, from sources is somewhat uh, a given. Although they don't uh, say that uh, particularly uh, uh, explicitly in uh, their manuals, uh, but they are a bit silent uh, in terms of the guidelines. So here in the Philippines, of course, uh, the general rule, if you ask me, is don't accept anything. But you'll be surprised that there are certain uh, manuals and there are certain internal guidelines in news media organizations that would allow for certain no one's acceptance of uh, yeah. gifts. Uh, for example, uh, there's a news media organization that would say that 2,500 is the benchmark that you would declare. So anything above 2,500, you can declare, but anything below it, you don't need to. Uh, yeah. Other news media organizations would say that it's okay to accept things in kind, but if you accept things in cash, then you're not allowed. Uh, I think that's the problem, uh, Christian, with the dynamics of the dominant news media organization, uh, which are inherently uh, profit-oriented. Uh, sometimes you can understand where the situation is coming from because uh, there are certain owners uh, of media that cannot afford uh, to provide for the financial needs of the journalists, so they exercise some degree of flexibility. And sometimes being understaffed in the community press, perhaps Marshall would be able to explain this in more detail, uh, sometimes uh, journalists would also act as uh, advertising uh, staff where they would try to act where they would be asked by the owners to uh, accept uh, or to give out solicitation letters to their sources of information, which we all know okay. would compromise our duty as journalists. By the way, at the outset, I'd like to make this clear to our viewers now. This discussion entirely is not intended to demonize a profession. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, it's not meant to discourage people from joining journalism. This is basically some form of self-examination to be able to serve the public better because uh, a free press is integral, integral uh, in a democracy. Sorry for that brief lecture. Uh, before I go to, professor, to, to, to Mr. Beral Santos, Marcel, I'm, I'm curious because I was reading the case studies that mentioned in your uh, ethics manual. Why didn't you name names when you cited examples? For example, the coverage of the Manila hostage crisis. Bakit ano? Bakit gen generic lagi? In a certain news organization, why don't we call a spade a spade since this is the business of journalism? Okay, uh, <laughs> that's a you know very good question. But I think, um, of course, uh, we really don't, as what you've said earlier, we don't want to demonize, just you know, just want to use your word. Um, because of course, um, we're not saying everyone is perfect, right? Um, so we just want to. We don't want to, we just want to generalize. We don't want to pinpoint. We don't want to, you know, uh, you know, tell them that, hey, what you did was wrong or, you know, uh, it's not right. Uh, so what, uh, so what the guide is uh, intend to do, this is just a, uh, this is not to impose. So uh, as to your question, why we, why we didn't name names, uh, 
it's um it's a general uh, thing I, i hope i did answer your your question like i said my point siguro uh, si uh, mr veral santos can also uh, weigh in on this no of course in journalism we call a spade a spade we don't mean sports if uh, if warranted but in this case for instance this this still sense in this day and age uh, a prevailing attitude among journalists to to protect their own even to a fault for example They, they think there should be more coverage uh, of issues concerning newsrooms, for instance, as they do in the United States. Uh, <laughs> Protection must be deserved, for one thing. And journalists must be prepared to be revealed. That is, your job is to reveal things, to reveal the truth in the public interest. You yourself, as a revealer of such truth, becomes part of the public interest. You know, you, by being a journalist, you are holding yourself up to a certain standard. Who are you? Who are you? To rake up things, people, if you yourself are not prepared, you know, to be revealed yourself. So, so that's one. Now, in the case of, of, um, of taking money or taking anything, there is a definite difference between taking money and taking something in kind. Why? You take money, you are given the latitude of choice. What to do with that money? When you are given, say, a book, you are not given that choice. You know? You are, um, you are stuck to the choice given you by, by the giver. So that, that makes a great deal of difference between taking money and taking something in kind. Now, that is not to say when something given in kind happens to be a house and lot. Now, that's, that, that, that is something um, you will have to start defining where, where uh, a gift in kind uh, does not fall under that simple category that I described. But, that, but that how, how do you determine that? Because I think this is also cultural. Some journalists cite this, you know. In, Philipp- in the Philippines, basically, gifts are... Are, are common and accepting gifts may be uh, acceptable to, to many people, including journalists. So, so where do you draw the line? I te- well, I tell, you, I tell you what I do. When I accept gift, I make sure that the gift I accept is something of such value that I myself can afford to give. And therefore, I am given a gift. I give a gift back. You know, this, is, this is to even out, to even out the situation. This is how I do it. This is a very personal sense of, of ethics of mine, you know? But that's how I do it. I, I don't know. Your ethics is a very... Um, uh, it's a, to a certain extent, it's a gray area, uh, ethical discipline. So um, you will have to, as practitioners, you'll have to come together and decide for yourselves. Uh, although in the end, you will be left to yourself to decide whether something is ethical or, or not. Mm. In the end, that's how it is. Basically, your, your set of morality will be at play. Exactly. It, it, uh, that is the basic, the basic, no the basic foundation. is moral philosophy. Similar okay. with law. Law is founded on moral philosophy. Ethical discipline is the same. Okay. Now, uh, Professor Arau, the so-called old boys club, I think this is also common in other institutions, right? Specifically, the military, doctors also. In journalism, uh, do you think there's a need to revisit, re-examine 
uh, or even perhaps dismantle this o- this old boys club. Basically, keeping things secret. So, nare, shenanigans within certain newsrooms, within certain groups of journalists. Wag nating ilalabas yan kasi uh, yari tayo dyan, no? We protect our own, again, even to a fault. Uh, of course, protecting our own uh, would be good, especially when it concerns uh, issues like press freedom or media repression in general. Uh, so, But the concept of the old boys club, uh, I even don't like the term because it's not so politically correct, uh, should be dismantled. Uh, in the sense that uh, if there are certain weaknesses in reportage, uh, we should be able, as, to use your words, uh, to call a spade a spade. Uh, we should engage in what we call constructive media criticism. Uh, to some extent, uh, the Center for Media and Media Freedom and Responsibility does that uh, through its uh, criticism of certain coverage. Uh, so positive coverage is praised, negative coverage would be subjected to jeers as opposed to cheers. So that kind of uh, dynamic uh, should be done. Uh, I do remember uh, when I was still a little bit involved with CMFR, uh, there was resistance in the newsroom. And in fact, uh, we were being called, you know, God's gift to journalism uh, for doing that. But right now, uh, to be fair, there are certain gatekeepers and editors who are now open uh, to constructive criticism. And in fact, they're very thankful uh, if ever there are certain feedback uh, that they receive regarding, uh, you know, certain errors uh, in the production of uh, journalistic content. Uh, no. People can do that privately. Uh, but of course, uh, if you want to do it publicly as well, uh, you can do that for as long as the level of discourse uh, would be civil enough to have a productive dialogue. So we have to be open to that kind of a possibility because in other countries, uh, that's what's being done. Uh, you tend to criticize each other's report reportage, but uh, you don't feel offended and you don't think it's unprofessional uh, in any way. In fact, that's something that we should be open to. If you don't want the, the politicians or the sources to be onion skin, you cannot also be onion skin, no? Uh, Marshall, kanina, I think uh, there, there was a word that uh, Danny mentioned. Yung, you mentioned apology, no? As part of dialogue, no? So, for instance, ito, uh, I think it was, it was yesterday, there was quite an unusual apology uh, given by the DZRH, uh, directed not just to the, the team of uh, Len Robredo, Vice President Len Robredo, but to the public at large. Uh, do you see that, uh, first, that can be considered as a positive change, no? But, but do you think that should be more common now in terms of accepting or acknowledging mistakes by journalists? Because I think uh, traditional, very, very, very protective among journalists, no? no? Parang many of us have mastered the art of apologizing without saying sorry. Uh, Marshall. Uh- Uh, you're on mute. Sorry. Uh, so, of course, accountability is, of course, one of the ethical standards that all journalists must have. And uh, if we made mistake, we have to correct it right away. And it's very humbling to see journalists uh, correct the, the, report, the report. And um, I think it should be followed, hopefully, um just want to cite an experience here in in Bacolod where in um there was a, a, a when I was editor in uh, for of course a daily newspaper there was a time that we were doing this live um simulation of um um airport crash so uh, it was live uh, on Facebook and then the uh, of course our reporter forgot to do uh, to put the caption and 
you know, the Tamblaine is showing the bloody scenes. So uh, everybody thought that um, we have, uh, there's actually a plane crash. And of course, for a small community, um, you know, it, it went viral. So uh, it, it was just posted for a few minutes and we were bashed already. So of course, what we did, uh, we issue again, an apology and, you know, this is accountability. And I told everyone, the reporters, not to delete the the video, but, you know, just to just to so show everyone that, you know, we made the mistake. We don't want to delete it, you know, because, of course, in Facebook, it's just easy to delete. Um, mm. It's just easy to delete your mistakes. So, Para wala nangyari. Yeah, so uh, maraming, uh, it has been going on. I, I know for a fact there some media houses has been doing that. Na if they uh, there's a erratic report, they just delete it right away. So for me, uh, just to show accountability, hey, we have to uh, correct our report, but we should not delete it. And, you know, yes. that is a good gesture from the reporter to to have to apologize and have that accountability. Okay. By the way, later on, we're going to talk specifically about uh, ethical dilemmas uh, that are expected to be encountered by journalists who will cover the 2022 election campaign. But at this stage, let's try to be more specific. I think uh, this is hardly discussed on uh, national TV. Speaking of accountability and conflict of interest, I think one of the case studies mentioned in the report was, in the manual, uh, was the idea or the fact that certain journalists are endorsing products. Uh, Mr. Virel Santos, What's wrong if you have journalists selling you products, let's say on TV? It is very TV. wrong. It is very wrong. It, 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 it gives the clear impression that you are biased for that product. And the first, one of the first rules of journalism is, um, is, is fairness, you know? And you know who you are supposed to be fair to, you know? It's your public, you know? The first, the first. The first sector that you must be fair to is the public, you know. And uh, if you, for instance, uh, if you, for instance, um, show yourself uh, in such dual role as advertiser and 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 uh, journalist, those those two are simply incompatible roles. Mm. You know? But but the impression, as I've said, is given that you are biased in favor of definitely something that you promote. Yeah, because I think the two types of bias, uh, basically one is perceived, the other, uh, perceived, the other is real or apparent, right? So in this yes. case, even the perception of bias can uh, affect the credibility of the journalist. Oh, exactly. It goes into the heart of credibility. It goes into the heart of the basic principles of journalism, okay. which is which is fairness, accountability, credibility, and public interest. Okay. Professor, oh, Professor Aro, is there a way to discourage journalists or to actually convince more of them not to engage in this? Because for instance, diba, you, you hear this argument, uh, ano naman masama kung nagbebenta ng sabon online o bagong biskwet o kape or, or juice, for instance, if they're not directly uh, covering areas that that involve those products, and I think this also might this this might also be surprising, because in my conversations with the with ordinary people or non-journalists, they don't technically find anything wrong with their journalists endorsing products, and that's quite uh, alarming. Uh, Professor Danny, 
Well, uh, let me address that particular last point first. Uh, people are not, uh, you know, surprised uh, with journalists endorsing products because they find nothing wrong with it because they assume that it's normal. Uh, because some of the role models in journalism are perceived to be those from, you know, the bigger networks with high viewership, which would tolerate to some extent uh, product placements uh, or product endorsements uh, of these journalists because they are the so-called rainmakers of their respective news media organizations. They provide the high rating, so therefore uh, they should be allowed some latitude as a reward uh, for bringing in money to their specific uh, news media organization. So that's where the problem lies, Christian. So people be, uh, got used to it because uh, that's the practice, uh, especially in the many uh, dominant news media organizations that are making money. Now, what's wrong with that? Uh, basically, uh, as Perhel said, it's potential conflict of interest. What if the company uh, that uh, produces the product you're endorsing uh, would, go on, would go on strike? Uh, you know, the workers would, would go on strike there and you're assigned to cover it. I mean, it presents some form of an awkward moment for you. You're an endorser of that product where uh, the workers of that company are staging a strike. So how would that uh, look uh, in terms of perception uh, of the readers? Number two, uh, people may, uh, okay, it can be counter-argued that, okay, you can just assign other reporters, uh, you know, to cover that particular company and then uh, leave you out of it. But it still uh, reflects uh, on the news media organization because whenever you report, you represent that news media organization. So the damage to the reputation is not just on you as a journalist, but also on the news media organization. So how perhaps the other, explanation. How about the other question? Is there any compelling reason for a journalist to sell a product? Well, of course, salary would be one uh, dimension. Uh, having a low salary should, uh, you know, uh, uh, having a low salary would sometimes be the culprit behind the various forms of corruption. In the no, 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 no. I'm talking about the big names because people, ah, yes. <laughs> advertisers yeah. would never go to, they would always go for the prominent ones. And these prominent yeah. ones are already expected to to be earning much more than the ordinary journalist. So, okay. I mean, yeah. what's that's the a good, compelling reason? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Actually, that's how you treat. That's where how you treat journalism would come in. For some of the big money makers in journalism, they see journalism as a career, as a way to get you know fame and fortune and to be on the level of certain politicians. And that's why it's not surprising why some big names in journalism, or at least those who think they're big names, uh, would uh, venture into politics, would even run for senator, without naming names, by the way. Sorry, Christian. But that's the point. Uh, they have a certain branch of journalism that goes against journalism. And usually, these yes. are the people who are not, uh, you know, too ashamed to endorse uh, certain products, even if it is patently unethical. Okay. Later on, we're going to go to the uh, much bigger issues in terms of ethical dilemmas in relation to the coverage of the 2022 election campaign. In the meantime, we're going to take a quick break. After the fact, we'll be right back. At this stage, this also addresses a specific issue. Usually, when you have uh, ethics manuals, usually the expectation is that they would be followed by the uh, rank and file, by the lowly journalists, and that uh, the editors or media owners can get away with things. Meaning, it's different what the ordinary journalists are supposed to follow out in the field or in the newsroom, but they see something different as far as the practice 
of certain editors and media owners are concerned. How do you uh, address that specific uh, dilemma, um, Marshall? You know, when I first came into the media, I have no idea. Like, um, unfortunately, my, my editor, my publisher, didn't even talk about the the environmental uh, journalism. Um, when I first two weeks into the job, I received an envelope after an out-of-town uh, coverage. And um, I was actually disappointed because I thought this is just, you know, in the movies and it's actually happening in real life. Um, you know, some journalists who saw me, uh, you know, encouraged me to receive it because it's okay. Um, but again, um, for me, it's, it's, it's not. So uh, they, all, they also told me not to mention it to the editor because it could get me fired. <laughs> so, you know, it happened again to, uh, this is uh, election um, period, uh, I remember, uh, 2012, 2013. Um, when I received another, I actually brought it up to my editor right away. And um, he explained to me that, of course, we, we do not judge because, again, um, my colleagues are receiving uh, low income, but uh, this is part of the gray area of this journalism. Um, okay. If you're if you're not gonna receive it, you might get ostracized or whatever. <laughs> but um, it, it's again, it was mentioned earlier that it's some sort of a, you know, we accepted it. Uh, this is the what this what is going on. Um, but of course, uh, after you know, I, I made the commitment that I don't want to. I don't want to do anything with this. Um, the problem with a community journalist is because it's a small community. We know everyone. Um, you know, we are close to the source. And sometimes even if you're not close to the source, you are perceived as close to the source. Um, talking about experience, um, there was a time that uh, they thought that I'm a, um, part of the payroll of uh, the governor. Uh -huh. uh, because uh, when we do the interview, the, the governor likes to tease me because I'm the youngest among the, the group at the time. So there's that perceived closeness. Yeah. Um, the, you the, know, the, uh, yeah. So That's very true. Uh, and sometimes <laughs> that can be very scandalous. No? If I may share, yeah. one time there was a, a politician very popular now who, I think in a gathering, inakbayan ako sabi sa akin, ito parang kapatid ko na to, no? I was the last to know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that 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 that's how <laughs> he saw that relation between us. When in fact, I hardly interviewed him. Sometimes politicians <laughs> tend to be that way, diba? Uh, at this stage, pag-usapan natin yung another question, uh, uh, Mr. Verrell Santos. Ito, anyone can also answer after him. Can journalists afford to be objective in an election coverage? Quote-unquote objective, uh, Mr. Santos. Objectivity is a myth. I mean, we are so fixated on objectivity. Uh, objectivity and neutrality. Journalism is not about objectivity and neutrality. Journalism is about truth in the public interest and fairness. Uh, objectivity is something, if it's at all a virtue, it's a virtue in something strictly empirical, like, uh, like science and, and mathematics and things like that. But 
but um, every time, as a journalist, you make judgment. You make a judgment on what to write about, how to do it, uh, when to publish it. These are all judgments that you have to make. Um, and by making those judgments, uh, implicitly, you throw away objectivity. Now, all you need to do is ask yourself, is this, am, is, is this, am I writing about the truth in the public interest? And am I being fair to all the players in the story and to my audiences? Those are the really things. The problem with, 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 uh, with is we tend to look for excuses. And therefore, by doing so, we complicate ethics. Ethics is really very, very simple, like Christiane. I don't know. I, I, I never, when I became a journalist, I, I never, nobody uh, pushed to me any, any, any ethical manual. I, I just learned uh, using my, my moral, my, my instinct as a, um, uh, my instinct for morality. I think basically ethics is morality. And you, you realize that, uh, if you understand your profession enough, um, you will understand what you can do and what you cannot do in it. Okay, but I think one... I mean, it's all about understanding the profession. Mm. But, but, but unfortunately, not, not everyone has a well-formed conscience. Everyone has a conscience, but not all of them are <laughs> well-formed. <laughs> Pro <laughs> Professor Danny, okay, let's engage this guy. <laughs> Uh, who responded to my tweet uh, announcing today's uh, tonight's topic? Yeah. Uh, this guy has 16 followers. Uh, this was um, put up this Twitter account put up uh, in January 2014. And looking at the uh, tweets, basically, uh, you might reasonably conclude that this person is a troll. Okay, but anyway, let's engage this troll. Sabinya, this topic is uh, interesting. Uh, let's see how you guys would explain on SICK how you are handling the coverage for each candidate so they get equal exposure. So far, referring to ABS-CBN, your network has been in the forefront in smearing BBM's campaign. Okay. Sagutin natin yung issue For instance, what, what, how do you respond to, to criticisms like this? I think this is it's yeah. not uh, a, a, a criticism uh, exclusive to, to the network, right? Yeah. Other news organizations are also dealing with such okay. criticism. So, yeah, how would you respond to things like this? Uh, Equal exposure. Yeah. Uh, the problem with, uh, you know, the perception with equal exposure, the notion with equal exposure is that it's practically impossible in the media. Uh, for example, uh, what do you do with uh, equal airtime? For one minute, uh, you divide it into four if you have four sources of information. Uh, that's not the case because you look at the quality of the content uh, of the statements of uh, your sources of information and from there you the make the judgment value. call. Yeah, the, the news value. value. Yeah, you make the judgment call in terms of what to put uh, in that limited time uh, that you have. Uh, we have a certain bias for the truth. So in the context of truth-telling, what do you do in a situation if one presidential candidate, for example, would engage in denialism, would engage in you know, fake news spending? So it's either you don't air that particular uh, statement that's an outright lie or disinformation, or you air it, but careful enough to provide 
a fact-checking uh, follow-up to that particular statement. Uh, so it's in the judgment call of uh, the journalist. But sometimes we tend to be very, very critical of certain you know, personalities or certain groups for the simple reason that sometimes they don't tell us everything. What they don't say is more crucial uh, than, the, than what they actually say. Because sometimes what they say would be quite misleading or sometimes in a, it's an outright fabrication. So okay. the journalist would have to traverse that you know slippery slope in terms of arriving and ferreting out the truth. Mamaya tatanayin kita, Marshall, dun sa experience ng community journalists because you also, you're also facing other threats uh, in terms of election coverage. Pero ito, tahiin muna natin itong topic na ito. I'd like to ask uh, Mr. Berel Santos, uh, based on your assessment so far of how uh, the news media, uh, yung, gamitin natin yung, ano, yung, yung Manila base, Metro Manila base uh, news media, basically the, the mainstream yung malalaki. Uh, do, do you think based on their coverage of those running specifically for the president, do you think certain candidates are getting unjustified advantage in terms of additional airtime or coverage and that certain candidates are getting unjustifiably pilloried in the coverage? Uh, you're on mute, uh, Mr. Santos. Kind of unmute, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, I think the president's getting... Much, much. Uh, and your coverage in all the media. I mean, I see the president all the time and he says nothing. If the but president I, says nothing, I, I'm he doesn't get about the media. The, I'm talking about the presidential candidates. Oh, the presidential candidates. You know, I would like to see more explaining and uh, more background checking um, done by journalists among these candidates. Uh, we only report what they say, which very little is revealed by what they say. Why? Because candidates promote themselves. You know? yeah. So if I were a reporter, I wouldn't be relying too much on what candidates say. But what other people say and what the facts are about this candidate. And, uh, and, and and explain, I would be, in this case, be more focused on track record, for instance. I mean, that, that should be available. And character, uh, that should be, uh, um, that too can be, uh, can, can be fairly known. Uh, but we don't do much of that. We don't do much of that in... I, I look at, uh, at at reports both in in broadcasts, in the media, and even online, and what I see are what people say about themselves. I mean, if you look at if you look at a reporting of politics today, um, a good deal of it is about what candidates say about themselves, and I I, I, I don't think that is. That, that 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 is um, that is the sort of reporting that we require today. Okay, oh, uh, Professor Arrow. Uh, well, of course, uh, media owners would play a major role in terms of the framing uh, of the candidates, and unfortunately, in the news media organizations, there are certain sacred cows, and that would partly explain why 
there are certain columnists who have become uh, quite disgruntled with the news media organization that they belong to because they've experienced, uh, you know, the non-publication of their articles that are critical of these so-called sacred cows. Now, the good thing, going back to the NUJP ethics manual, is that there is a section there on, uh, there is a citation there on the media ownership uh, monitor uh, initiated by RSF, Reporters on Frontier, and uh, Vera Files. Uh, because from here, we can see the landscape uh, of media ownership. Uh, of course, it needs to be updated uh, to incorporate, you know, the shutdown of ABS-CBN. But the fact that uh, there are certain uh, owners uh, of news media organizations who are close to Malacanang, uh, it's very, very telling uh, on the kind of uh, coverage that's uh, being provided. So going back to your uh, question a while ago, that would partly explain why there are certain candidates that are unjustly pilloried uh, but at the same time, to the credit of, uh, you know, the emerging number of uh, news media organizations that are becoming critical, so there is also uh, an attempt uh, toward uh, fair coverage, uh, but fair in terms of truth-telling, uh, okay. not fair in terms of personalities. Okay. Marcia, let's talk about the situation sa mga community papers, sa community press. We know the challenges there, no? Because you're covering politicians or candidates up close. So iba dyan, may mga ties na hindi maiiwasan, di ba? Pwedeng ka mag-anak na ganito, kaibigan na ganyan, anak sa binyag, inaanak sa kasal, etc., etc. Mga politiko, basically. Uh, <coughs> Just, uh, okay. Hindi pa kami natawa lang sa reaction ni Sir Berel. I thought of something. Anyway, ang tanong ko, ano? Ang tanong ko, Marcel, how how do you deal with situations where the journalists, this is my term, ha? When they cover candidates during the campaign, they end up covering them like cheerleaders. Usually, parang nagko-cover ng UAAP or NCAA, parang they take sides. Let's say they, they get assigned to this candidate for mayor, for governor, or sa national scene, di ba, hinahati yung mga reporters covering this particular presidential candidate and this one. Then, if you monitor their coverage, para bang nawala yung critical uh, approach, para bang naging in-house uh, reporters sila ng mga kandidato. So, so, so sa, sa community press, how, how do you deal with that? Okay, citing from experience, um, of course, um, when, I, when I first met the reporters, um, that is uh, one of the first things that you know I told them um, never to sell the front page uh, because again um, that um, closeness to the sources. Um, I also told them that um, I'm not sure if um, you know Server Hell mentioned earlier that there's no objectivity in, uh, <laughs> in the media, and I just want to cite this experience. Uh, we have this one uh, politician that we all know who is, um, you know, he is a peddler of lies and all. And we all know that. Um, so me and the other editor from a competing paper, uh, when he releases press statements or, you know, press release, we talk. Uh, sh- uh, she would ask me sometimes, uh, Ta, would you publish this? And I would tell her, no. Uh, I will not publish that. So we end up um, not publishing any of his uh, statements. Um, I th- I'm not sure if you agree with this, but I think uh, community press has more leeway um, because in terms of um, 
like for example, politician, it's the discernment of the editor, right? Um, when you see the write-ups of, um, when I see write-ups from my reporters who are um, citing other side, or is not, you know, it's what you've mentioned, being a cheerleader of a certain politician, um, and they would not publish it. Um, it had uh, it had happened. I called uh, the the, um, the attention of a, a reporter. I told her, "Can we please stop writing about this guy? Um, you know, just very small. You know, he just went this barangay just to blah blah blah. Uh, we would write something about it uh, just because uh, they release a press release about this guy. Okay. So um, I think it's the the there's that leeway somehow because, um, you know, even if the owner or the management would tell the editor to publish this, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, it's it's still our call. And, you know, citing from experience, I don't remember my publisher telling me what to do. So okay. it's uh, that's the sort of, you know, how okay. we do things. At this stage, before we end, I'd like to ask uh, uh, Mr. Verel Santos and uh, Professor Dani Aro. Basically, what do you think are the uh, most grave uh, challenge confronting um, the independent press covering the 2022 uh, election campaign? Mr. Santos. One is a fixation on objectivity and a... Uh, a, um, a fear of making a judgment for themselves. I mean, news people should make judgments, judgments for themselves. Uh, so long as the judgments are based on, 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 on facts and, uh, and so long as all, uh, all requirements of fairness are, are met. Uh, but the, the, the problem with news people today is that they are so afraid to make a judgment. They are so afraid to uh, ask uh, brutal questions. They are so afraid to, to put uh, sources and subjects on the spot uh, because they think they might be um, uh, overstepping the lines of, of neutrality and objectivity. I think to me that is the, that is, that is a problem. And that, that constitutes self-censorship, actually, if you ask me. Uh, but, but then, then again, now you're, 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 we also discussed here the role of owners and, and editors. These are crucial. And what do you do when you have editors and owners whom you think uh, favor certain subjects? The problem is that we don't report on ourselves enough, you know, on the media. Because if we did, we could always leak to other media what might be happening in our, in our own that we can't ourselves publish. We used to do that in the old times, you know, okay. knowing that something would not, would not see, could not see print for some reason in our own paper. We leaked it to another paper. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Danny, very briefly, uh, because we don't have much time anymore. Basically, it's the fixation on personalities, on the visual spectacle and the grand circus where the election coverage becomes reduced to a horse race. 
So we tend to focus more uh, on personalities, which reflects the personality-based politics in our country. And I think for journalism, uh, there should be some effort to focus more on the substantive issues, uh, focus more not just on the sound bites, but also on uh, the burning issues of the day. By all means, let's make press freedom an election issue, for example, along with other threats uh, on our democracy. Because the 2022 elections is a make or break uh, insofar as our democratic institutions would be concerned, so the media would need to step up. Okay. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for and uh, Ms. Marshall for joining us tonight. Maraming maraming salamat. Thank you, guys. Christian. Maraming salamat. Thank you. Okay, so that's it for tonight. This has been your host, Christian Esguera. You can watch this episode again on I Want TFC or listen to our podcast on Spotify. Now, for recaps and other exclusive content, subscribe to the ANC YouTube channel and catch up with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See you again tomorrow after the fact.